When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Iran is the world's leading sponsor of terrorism. Uh, There is no more nefarious exporter of international terrorism than Iran. Let me be clear. This is a persistent threat. This is not carried out by rogue elements, but is a conscious strategy of the Iranian regime. Iran can be ruthless within its own borders. In the protests following the death of 22-year-old Masha Amini, who was imprisoned and killed simply for violating their headscarf law, live rounds were used on those who took to the streets. But as well as the crackdown at home, there's one exported abroad. For years, but particularly in the past two, the Islamic Republic has been launching a stealth war against enemies of the state. The targeting of American citizens by a hostile foreign government uh, is very close to an act of war. The Sunday Times investigation has found that these plots have included kidnap and even murder with the Iranian regime pulling these violent strings from a safe distance. This is what the Islamic Republic is really good at, like using drug dealers, using criminals to do their dirty job. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, Iran's web of terror... I'm Dipesh Gadda, and I'm the Home Affairs Correspondent at the Sunday Times. Your story, Dipesh, starts with the tale of Masi Alinjad and what happened to her. Who is she, exactly? So Masi Alinjad is an Iranian-born women's rights activist and Nobel Peace Prize nominee who has been a thorn in the side of the Iranian regime for many years. When you were accepting your Nobel uh, nomination, 
You said that you have to stop gender apartheid in Iran. So can you explain to us what it means? Let's just talk about what happened to us five days ago. Five days ago, a 17-year-old girl was beheaded by her husband, which I cannot even call her husband, because the Sharia laws in Iran allowed her to get married with her cousin at the age of 14. So for me, this is not just an honor killing happening by family. The honor killings being supported by Sharia laws in Iran. So this is called gender apartheid. She originally started off life as a journalist, as a parliamentary reporter in Tehran and fell out of favor with the regime because of an expose she wrote about parliamentary corruption in Tehran. And this was the start of her kind of woes with the authorities. The expose led to her actually coming to the UK in exile in around 2009, where she enrolled on an undergraduate degree at Oxford Brookes University studying media and communications. And while she was there, she still was a vocal critic of the Tehran regime. And it led to her receiving at least three threats to her safety while she was a student and living in Oxfordshire, the most terrifying of which was an incident whereby an Iranian man posing as a postman turned up at her door one day where she lived at her home with her 15-year-old son and basically tried to break his way through, which was obviously terrifying for her. She had to report it to the police. And when you say she was a vocal critic whilst here in the UK of the regime back in Iran, about what kind of thing? What kind of thing was she saying and doing? In particular, she has been very vocal about women's rights issues. So in 2014, soon after she'd completed her degree at Oxford Brooks, she came to even greater prominence by launching a Facebook campaign, which was called My Stealthy Freedom. And as part of that campaign, she urged or encouraged women in Iran to remove their hijab or veil, which is a mandatory piece of clothing in in Mm. Iran, and post images of themselves on social media, hence my stealthy freedom. And she started the campaign, actually, by posting a picture of herself with her flowing locks outside Kew Gardens in southwest London. She said that the actual campaign went viral immediately and clearly she was tapping into a certain sentiment and feeling amongst women in Iran and over the years I guess the regime became more and more concerned about her output and she actually moved from the UK to New York in around 2014-2015. Because of the threats? Well yeah so she moved to New York in the hope that obviously she'd be able to uh, speak her mind more freely. But in reality, it turns out that things were about to take an even more sinister turn. We'll press pause on that story for a moment and, and dip back into that. But if we zoom out for a moment, you've been looking more broadly at Iran's efforts to intimidate and even in some cases kidnap and assassinate its opponents and critics around the world. What have you found about how prolific this work is? Well, 
to be honest, it's remarkable. I mean, we've discovered as part of a three-month investigation that uh, the uh, regime in Tehran has attempted to plot against UK targets on no less than 17 separate occasions since the beginning of last year, so since January 1st, 2022. And as you point out, a number of those plots involve attempted abductions and assassination. And how does that fit into what Iran is doing more widely? I mean, is this the kind of thing they're doing in lots of Western countries or or is the UK a particular outlier? Well, if you look at the 17 plots that have been foiled, according to analysis, that accounts for about a quarter of all of Iran's external operations. So you can see that clearly there's a lot of focus on Britain and Iran's critics in the Mm. UK. And you said you've been investigating this for a number of months. How did you actually get started on this? What was the what was the event or bit of information that set you going down this rabbit hole? Yeah, well, Iran is, I guess, one of three hostile states that the UK authorities have been worried about for some time. The other two obviously being Russia and China. Last November, so about a year ago, Ken McCullum, the director general of MI5, hosted an annual lecture in which he went through the various threats to the country. And he pointed out in that lecture that Iran was the country that uh, was most likely to spill over into terrorism. Iran projects threat to the UK directly through its aggressive intelligence services. At its sharpest, this includes ambitions to kidnap or even kill British or UK-based individuals perceived as enemies of the regime. And he revealed this astonishing figure that the UK authorities had actually foiled at that point 10 separate plots. 10 up to that point, November last year, and then since then it's been another seven to get you to your 17. That's what we believe, yeah. I mean, the last publicly available figure was in February of this year when counter-terrorist police stated that there had been 15 foil plots. So we think a couple more since have happened over the summer months. And has this always been the case? Has this always been the modus operandi of of Iran? So I guess there is an element thus as it ever was. Clearly, when the Islamic Republic was set up in 1979 after the overthrow of the Shah, the Ayatollahs were always keen to uh, export the revolution, so to speak. And so there were attempts ever since 1979 to actually carry out external operations, some of which would be regarded as an attempt to export the revolution. Others would be blatant attempts to actually silence critics abroad. There is actually, as part of this investigation, I came across an academic who's actually a former FBI counterterrorism official in the United States, a guy called Dr. Matthew Levitt, who's head of counterterrorism and intelligence at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy think tank. And he has been charting Iran's external plots since 1979. And by his calculation, he thinks that there have been 183 different plots that have been launched overseas. Mm. And he believes that since the start of last year, there have been 67 separate plots. And if my back of the fag packet maths is, is right, then that points to a quite a sharp uptick in the past couple of years or so? Yeah, so Levitt believes that there are a couple of reasons for this spike, as it were. One of the reasons is 
there's a infamous Iranian general called Qasem Soleimani, who mm. is the head of the elite Al-Quds force of the uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. He was killed in a targeted assassination by the US on a trip to Baghdad in early 2020. The breaking news. In a major escalation in tensions between the US and Iran, the top Iranian general has been killed in an airstrike while leaving the Baghdad airport. The Pentagon confirmed the US military carried out the attack. A lot of the plotting has essentially been about trying to avenge his death. Qasem Soleimani was one of the most powerful figures in the Middle East and had been the top military man in Iran for more than 20 years. Overlaid on top of that, you've obviously had mass uprisings in Iran itself domestically, mainly over the mandatory uh, wearing of the hijab. And mm. if you recall, that really sort of erupted or came to a head last September when a lady called Masa Amini, who was a 22-year-old woman, died in custody after she'd been um, taken in by the morality police allegedly for wearing her veil improperly. Women cry death to the dictator and wave their headscarves at her funeral. The inscription on her gravestone reads that she's not dead. Her name will become a symbol and live forever. So you've had all that sort of domestic dissent that's going on, which clearly Tehran has not been happy about and has been keen to quell. And in particular... It's gone after, in that respect, independent media outlets and Iranian expatriate journalists around the world who've clearly been focusing on a lot of those protests which Tehran would rather the world not know about. Yeah, and activists like uh, Masih Alinejad, who you began this episode talking to us about. So if she's somebody who um, was a thorn in the side of the regime in Tehran and then moved to the UK to study Oxford Brooks and, and continued to be a problem for them as they saw it, had all these terrifying threats. She eventually ends up in New York, as you said, where things get a bit worse. In what way? Right. So if we fast forward to about 2020, she was living in Brooklyn. She was still obviously very active on social media with her hijab campaign. And there were several attempts, basically by the Iranian regime, to lure her back to Tehran via her family, which um, failed to sort of materialise. And when you say lure, you mean in what way, as in get to the family and try to make them convince her to return to Iran? Precisely put pressure on her relatives to get her mm. to come back, or in a couple of cases, you know, offering them large sums of money to actually persuade her to come back. Yeah. And I think in one of those occasions, it ended up with her brother being imprisoned in Iran. So there were various attempts to um, get her back to Iran through her family. And then things really got to a head in the middle of 2020, when a senior intelligence official known as Ali Reza Farahani who works for something called the Ministry of Intelligence and Security, hatched a plot, and it sounds like completely outlandish this, but he hatched a plot to essentially kidnap her from her home in Brooklyn, whiz her out of New York on a military-style speedboat, take her to Venezuela, which is a country that is friendly with Iran, and then take her by boat to Iran that way for 
what would eventually be a show trial and probably a death sentence. Gosh. And as part of that plot, they were snooping on her as well, scoping out what she was doing day by day, I, I guess trying to find the best time to kidnap her. Yeah, precisely. And and this is the fascinating thing about the sort of Iranian tactics, because, you know, when you think about spies and agents, you sort of think of the old fashioned agent who's come over possibly with a poison tip umbrella or something like that. What the Iranians are actually doing is actually getting all sorts of proxy actors involved to actually carry out their dirty work. And in this particular case, the cell that was operating in Tehran hired a Manhattan-based private investigator, a guy called Mike McKeever, who had no idea that he was working for the Tehran intelligence services. They approached him and said, look, we represent a group of investors in Dubai and someone has kind of run off to Brooklyn with our money. Could you please carry out some reconnaissance on this individual's house for us? And that's how he was put on the case, mm. helped them sort of work out what Alina Jad's daily movements were. I mean, he did that for several weeks, actually. And how do we know all of this? I mean, wh where did you get this information from? Right. So quite a lot of it has actually come out in a US court indictment against Farahani, the leader of the plot. So in theory, there could be a trial in relation to this at some point. And some of it has come out from you know, my interviews with Masi Alinajad herself and actually the um, private eye, Mike McKeever, who I spoke to directly, um, he was the one who told me that after several weeks of surveillance on this property, he got a tap on his shoulder from the FBI who said, actually, sir, the people you're working for are not who you think you're working for. And actually, they're very, very bad people. So it seemed that the FBI were also onto this particular plot and eventually got Mike McKeever on board to actually help them with that. And that's how the plot eventually unraveled. I'd add as an aside to that foiled kidnap plot, when the US investigators looked into the cell in Tehran, they discovered that they were also plotting against dissidents in the UK and in Canada, deployed similar tactics, i.e. to hire private investigators in London and I think Toronto to actually do their surveillance. So it wasn't just a, a thing against a woman in New York. I see. So was that it for Alina Jad in her new life in Brooklyn then? The plot against her foiled, she can sleep easy at night now? Sadly not it was about to get even worse for her. Coming up, Iran's terror network doubles down in its hunt for Alinejad. That's in just a moment. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Depeche, you were telling us about this incredible plot, including military-style speedboats and a plan to to get this woman, Alina Jad, uh, an Iranian now living in Brooklyn, who had been in the UK, to Venezuela and then back to Iran, and how they'd even had a private eye monitoring Alina Jad's movements. That person, as all of that plot fell away, decided to cooperate with the US authorities, you said, what happened with Alina Jad next? You said it gets a lot worse for her. Yeah, so the kidnap plot, which was foiled, was in 2020. Last year, the Tehran regime went back for her again, it seems, from another set of US court papers. And on this occasion, they weren't content with just abducting her. They wanted to assassinate her. And what they allegedly did is hire a criminal gang from Azerbaijan, of Azerbaijani origin. They're known as something called the Thieves-in-Law. The top of the gang was a guy called Rafat Amirov, who was allegedly living in Iran when he was hired. He basically, via two middlemen in Eastern Europe, recruited an alleged hitman called Khalid Medyev, who lived in New York on the ground. And they managed to get, according to the court papers, $30,000 over to Medyev. He bought an assault rifle with that money and then went to check out Alina Jad at her house in Brooklyn. So just because this woman who used to live in Iran and was a thorn in their side there as a journalist and then was quite vocal about the regime when she moved to the UK and continued to do so when she moved to New York, they allegedly, according to these US court papers, hired a hitman through all these intermediaries, to kill her. Yeah, I mean, when I spoke to her myself, I mean, she, she, she says it's, you know, it sounds like something like out of a Hollywood movie, and it is one of those like, cases where it's truth is stranger than fiction. To you, or m- many Westerners, hmm. it might sound like a movie, like a scary movie from Hollywood. To us, the millions of us Iranians, this is the reality. So... You know, this this guy Medyev was actually caught prowling around on her porch by her doorbell camera. And what happened in July last year is uh, she got suspicious, called the authorities. The alleged hitman also fled the scene. He got picked up by police a couple of blocks away in his car for a traffic violation. (sighs) And obviously when they opened the, the boot of his car, they found the assault rifle... 66 rounds of ammo, I think more than $1,000 in cash and a black ski mask. Which is suspicious. (laughs) Yes, to say the least. So that's the case of of, of what is alleged to have happened to this young woman, Alina Jad. But 
as you hinted earlier, she isn't the only person at the receiving end of all of this. I mean, can you give us a flavour of, of some of the other alleged plots? Yeah, so, I mean, that's obviously an Iranian dissident, but the Tehran regime has aimed a lot higher uh, in some cases. Um, and uh, not long after the two plots against Alinejad were um, foiled, it emerged in a separate court indictment that there was another uh, Iranian intelligence officer from the Revolutionary Guard called Sharam Safi, who was trying to hire criminals in the Washington DC area to carry out an assassination against Mike Pompeo, the former US Secretary of State, and John Bolton, Donald Trump's national security advisor. The main reason they were targeted is because they were the sort of people at the top at the time when this general I mentioned earlier, Qasem Soleimani, was assassinated. So it's part of the revenge for that, that they wanted to get to senior US officials. And, and according Not to... Not to just get to, assassinate. I mean, that, that would have been huge if it actually happened. But I guess yeah. it all what fizzled out was, was rumbled. Well, I mean... The plot involved, you know, sums of up to a million dollars being offered to potential criminals in the US to carry out the hit. Unfortunately for the Iranians, fortunately for the Americans, the would-be hitman that was hired turned out to be an FBI informant. And if these, what we've all discussed here, have been somewhat unsuccessful... Actually, that there have been alleged plots which have done what Iran wanted, I guess, thinking of the case of that independent TV station in West London. Yeah, I mean, you only have to look to Britain to see the amount of traction that some of these plots have had. So Iran International is the channel I think you're referring to. It's a Farsi-language independent TV station. It operated in a business park in Chiswick in West London until February this year. They were targeted multiple times, or its staff were targeted multiple times for actual murder plots, according to the police. And it got to a point in February where the police said to them, look, we can't keep your staff safe at this business park. You're going to have to cease transmissions from the UK. This was a difficult decision for Iran International. Last November, two British-Iranian journalists from the channel were told by police about a possible threat to their lives. So because of that, armed police were stationed near their offices in West London. But on Saturday, um, the channel said that threats had grown to the point that it felt it was no longer able to protect its journalists. Which I guess is an example of that kind of behaviour from Tehran working, isn't it? I mean, none of these alleged murder plots came off, but the threat of it worked. Well, it, it was more than just a threat. Um, Ali Asghar Ramazanpour, who is Iran International's head of news, actually was told by police that an immediate attack was going to happen maybe today, tonight or tomorrow, is what he told me. Um and that's saying something when the British police are saying that an attack is going to happen and we can't potentially prevent it on UK soil. So if this is all what's been happening in the past year or two years, do we know what they could be up to now or what plans might be afoot for the future? There's two things of note, I would say. The tactics that the Iranians are deploying are clearly shifting all the time in terms of 
the muscle they're using to carry out their jobs. And so the authorities are very concerned at the moment that rather than just hiring individuals, Tehran will seek to just brainwash or radicalise, sometimes online or through social media, I guess what you'd refer to as lone wolves, basically convince them that here's an enemy against the regime, you should go after them. And that's not totally implausible because if you recall last year, Salman Rushdie, the British author, was actually stabbed and maimed at a literary lecture in New York by such an individual. The other concern that the authorities have is whether Tehran is seeking to exploit and infiltrate the current protests that are going on, pro-Palestinian protests against uh, Israel's airstrikes on Mm. Gaza. You'd have seen that these demonstrations are going on week in, week out. They're attended by sometimes over 100,000 people. And, And there's a concern that Tehran may seek to turn some individuals, possibly you know, radicalise individuals on those marches to actually carry out attacks on pro-Israel or targets here. It's not a hypothetical threat, I suppose. Um, there was on one particular demonstration in mid-October, a sort of breakaway splinter group of protesters went down King Charles Street, which is the road that runs next to the Foreign Office, and basically targeted a British Iranian activist, a chap called Vahid Baheshti, who has been holding a vigil outside the Foreign Office, actually, for many months, protesting against the Islamic Revolutionary Guard, in fact. So some of these pro-Palestinian protesters basically came up to him. Many of them, he says, were actually shouting in Farsi and waving pictures of the Ayatollah Khamenei and Qasem Soleimani. And so thinking about what could even go a step further then, is it just the case that the regime and proxies of the regime are going after members of the Iranian diaspora, wherever they may be, causing issues for the regime as they see it? Or if I'm a Jewish person in London or elsewhere in the world, you know, kicking up a stink about Iran's influence, could I be threatened as well? Yeah, I think there's a real concern actually amongst the authorities here, the intelligence agencies, that there could be a shift in target from dissidents and media to Jews and Israelis living in the UK. And in fact, in Parliament earlier this year, after the plots had been foiled against Iran International, Tom Tugendhat, the security minister, actually revealed to MPs that Tehran has separately been collecting intelligence on UK-based Israeli and Jewish individuals. Mr Deputy Speaker, as of last week, we'd responded to 15 credible threats since the start of 2022 to kill or kidnap British or UK-based individuals by the Iranian regime. Between 2020 and 2022, Iran tried to collect intelligence on UK-based Israeli and Jewish individuals. We believe this information was a preparation for future lethal operations. That was something he said to MPs in February this year. Clearly now, through the prism of the Israel-Hamas conflict, there is a clear concern that that intelligence gathering may be used for actual Hmm. plotting. Has Iran commented on this at any point? Uh, Funnily enough, it hasn't. Um, (laughs) And part, part of the reason, obviously, that it's been 
using a lot of these proxies like organised crime groups and unwitting private eyes is partly to sort of keep a, an arm's length from yeah. its actual plotting. They still have this facade that they want to sort of continue diplomatic relations with the West. And so by hiring all these proxies, it gives them some sort of plausible deniability that they've got anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, let's end with where we started then, with the case of Elena Jad, the woman we were talking about who was in Iran, then the UK, and, and now in the US. How does she reflect on all of this and her situation and, and safety going forward? Well, I mean, you'd be unsurprised to hear that she has been moved from one safe house to another over the course of the last two or three years. And she's absolutely convinced that having failed to eliminate her twice before, that they will come after her again. And she told me she was 100% sure of that. And having failed to kidnap her, having failed to assassinate her, her, her sort of great fear now, in the light of the Rushdie incident, is that a lone wolf might be convinced to go after her. They can go after some extremists here and convince them that Mafia is a danger for a Muslim world. Get rid of her. All I know is they want me dead. But at the same time, look what empowers me. I was like, okay, I'm not carrying weapons. You know, I don't have guns and bullets. And these, they have power, money, guns, bullets, everything. But the whole regime is scared of me. So that empowers me. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Luke Jones, and my guest today, Home Affairs Editor for The Sunday Times, Depesh Gadda. You can find all of Depesh's brilliant reporting, including a look into the 10 ISIS children returning to the UK and what might happen to them next at thetimes.co.uk or in print last weekend. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you can, leave us a nice review and you can email us anytime, storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.